0: And if you will, disregard the text in your bulletin and turn with me to the third psalm. Psalm three was much upon my mind. It is not a psalm of thanksgiving, but I think that it will become very obvious to many of us here as we move along the reason for the selection of the third psalm this morning. Psalm three. And you will need your Bibles open, of course as we expound the text. Let's pray together before reading. Our Father and our God, as we turn to this wondrous psalm, we are thankful that you have given to us the great psalm book of Israel and that it also is the great psalm book of your church. And we pray that we will learn to sing the psalms and that the psalms will be embedded in the hearts, especially of our children. And Lord, we pray that as we give you thanks on this day in this very special and significant way, that we also will take heart from this psalm and give you thanks for those things that we will find here, that you are always our covenant God, you always will be, you will never leave nor forsake your people. In the name of Christ, we ask and pray your blessing upon this exposition of your word. Amen. The third psalm, this is the word of God. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul there is no salvation for him and God, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. You will notice the title of this psalm is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. It connects us to 2 Samuel chapter 15. This was the valley of humiliation. It was the darkest hour for David as king when he was in exile from his throne in Jerusalem. Because his own son, Absalom, projected a public image calculated to attract followers, he looked great. He looked kingly, and he criticized his father in very subtle ways. If only I were the king, then I would do things in this way or that. And the text tells us in 2 Samuel that Absalom stole the hearts of the people. And this led to revolution and to coup. Absalom plotted for four years and began his coup against God's anointed under the guise of serving God. And so David flees from Jerusalem. In the dead of night, he crossed the Kedron, and the soldiers march by the king, and they weep. And we read of his humility and his humiliation in 2 Samuel chapter 15. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. What is God doing? It's hard to see, but more on this in a few moments. For now, do not forget that David is a type of Christ that as King David, he points forward to the one who is the king of kings, David's greater son. And here David resembles him who is the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He also crossed the Kedron into Gethsemane, and he also was overwhelmed with sorrow, infinitely greater than David's sorrow in this psalm. For now, let's look at the psalm. We see, first of all, Great enemies, great enemies, verses 1 and 2. O oh Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And so, King David notes the number of the enemies against him. In Second Samuel 15, we read, And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And so looking at his circumstances alone, David could see no end to his troubles, and he could see no way of escape. His heart is overwhelmed because God's name and character is maligned. Verse 2, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. The greatest distress to David should be the greatest distress to any child of God, that the name of God is not exalted in the earth that his name is maligned by those who do not believe. But David is not forsaken, but the one that he foreshadows, David's greater son, was forsaken. Who can understand the forsakenness of the Savior on the cross? Jesus committed no sin, but he bore your sin and mine. David was humiliated. David's greater son was infinitely humiliated for the sakes of sinners like you and me. But we go on to see, secondly, great protection, verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Zion, that holy hill... "'A shield surrounding me. "'David was protected by the Lord. "'Greater the strength than David's enemies "'is the shield of the Lord who is his protector. "'My glory and the lifter up of my head,' he calls him. "'Fleeing Jerusalem, weeping on every hand, "'his head hung low.'" 2 Samuel 15 says, "'Weeping barefoot with his head covered, "'yet he knew that he was surrounded.'" By the shield and love and care of his God. And what does the psalmist do when he is in trouble? Verse four I cried aloud to the Lord. When he was in trouble, he cried out unto his God. And in the second part of verse four, notice that David anticipates God's answer. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. God's holy hill will send the answer. He will send the answer to David, and he will answer him, but he believes the answer from God's holy hill before it even comes. God's holy hill is where David was anointed. It was the place where the symbol of God's throne resided, the Ark of the Covenant. Not Absalom, but the Lord decrees from Zion. And the New Testament tells us that we have come to that true Zion, which was only typified by this one in Hebrews 12, 22. But you, you new covenant believers, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkle blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The same God who answered David's prayer from the holy hill of Zion, the place of his throne, answers your prayer from the place of his exalted enthronement as our great heavenly high priest, The true Zion. Great protection. Great protection for David and for you. But also, thirdly, will you notice great trust. Verses 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. In the midst of all of this trouble, what does David do? He goes to sleep his faith in the Lord enables the fugitive, the father, the king, surrounded by his enemies, to rest. Why? Because though his enemies surround him, the Lord as a shield surrounds him. How many times the Lord had proven his word to David, and he believes him, this is not natural, this is supernatural. And so he arose. God was his protector, protector and David will not fear. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. As I thought of this, I happened to remember Martin Luther as he was going to testify for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ at Worms. He must enter Worms. He must testify for the gospel. Safe conduct was offered him, but what was that? What promise was that? Had not John Huss? a century before, had safe conduct, and yet he was burned at the stake. And so his friends said, turn back, turn back, do not do this. And he said, go and tell your master that if there be as many devils and verms as tiles upon the housetops, still would I enter it. And that's David in this place doing what God would have him to do. But will you also notice a great salvation, verses 7 and 8, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. You will strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And so he calls upon God to arise. All the Lord must do is arise, and David is saved. The throne is saved. The kingdom is saved, which is an ancient way of saying, God, show your power. Demonstrate your power. And notice that it's an imprecatory psalm. He prays against his enemies, those who would speak against David as the king, against the Lord's anointed, but God will break their teeth. May we sing imprecatory psalms today. I have it on good authority that many times in England today when imprecatory psalms are read, the imprecations are left out and the psalm is mangled. But yes, we also may sing and pray the imprecatory psalms. How? Because it points to the future judgment. When those who have maligned the king will be judged. When those who have spoken against God's anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be punished. And we long for justice. Salvation, he says, belongs to the Lord. This is the acknowledgement that deliverance, salvation, of whatever kind God brings, is the result of his own sovereignty. It's not something that we can work up. It is not something that we can accomplish. It comes from the Lord. And here we have the sum and substance, really, of Calvinistic doctrine that salvation is of the Lord. It belongs to him. God's blessing on his people, well, we see it here. We are blessed before we are crowned. We believe his word even before he answers us. So, what is God doing? David flees in the valley of humiliation. Affliction has deepened his walk with God. The psalm is a result. He turns to God. So, there's that. Affliction surely is a method of rekindling and strengthening and deepening our love for God and our knowledge of his love for us. But what is God doing? It's hard to see, isn't it? And that's the point worth pondering on this Thanksgiving day. How is this consistent with the promises that God has made regarding David's house, given to him in 2 Samuel 7, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me? Well, David could know this, that whatever was happening, whatever God in his providence was doing, whatever his enemies... God is fulfilling the promise of his everlasting covenant. It doesn't look that way, but he could know that God would keep his word and keep his promise. And for you, the same is true. Did you notice in the psalm how many times the covenant name of God, you know what it means that he's a covenant God, that he has condescended to have a relationship with his people through the blood of Christ, ultimately. The covenant name of God by which he swears to be our God and swears that we will be his people. The covenant name of God by which he swears that he will love us forever, that he will never turn from us. Did you notice how many times the covenant name of God, Yahweh, translated Lord, Uppercase letters is found in this short psalm. It is found in verse 1. It is found in verse 3. It is found in verse 4 and in verse 5 and in verse 7 and in verse 8. Six times in eight verses, the covenant name of God is found in this psalm. He is preserving, David, that Christ might be born and that you sitting here this Thanksgiving Day, might be saved. That's what he was doing, preserving the king so that the king of kings could come into the world and redeem us from our sins. But remember, David at this point looks more like the coming king, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief than at any other time in his reign. How alike in some ways was David's humiliation to Christ? He's surrounded by enemies. He crossed the Kedron. His many followers forsook him. But how unlike was David's humiliation to Christ? Because long after David, another king left Jerusalem, having been hailed Hosanna, left with a few followers ascending the Mount of Olives, and he turned to his father, And he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup depart from me. He goes to the cross. And unlike David, who was not forsaken, though it appeared so, David's greater son is forsaken. And in this he secures his people and his kingdom. Yes, God blesses his people. And the crowning is certain. We want nothing so much as for God's character and attributes to be shown in total victory. That victory has been guaranteed and we shall see it because the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jehovah himself, the second person of the Trinity, was forsaken in the place of sinners like us. Do you know that Savior? Have you trusted that Savior Do you know him yourself on this Thanksgiving day? And this is why I thought it might encourage us at Thanksgiving, because David can praise God even when he doesn't see how the deliverance will come. And as I contemplated this past year, and I thought about my sheep and what many of you have endured, or what we have endured as we have loved one another together, I saw you in this psalm, and your need of this psalm on Thanksgiving Day, so that you also may praise God, and thank God, and bless God, and believe God, as did David, because though he was not forsaken, it looked as if he was forsaken, because he could not see what God was doing, but God was at work all the while, and you can know that because your Savior was forsaken on your behalf. Do you know Gibbons, eternal ruler of the ceaseless round? Verse 3 actually brought it to mind. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. And Gibbons wrote, O clothe us with thy heavenly armor, Lord, thy trusty shield, thy sword of love divine. Our inspiration be thy constant word. We ask no victories that are not thine. Give or withhold, let pain or pleasure be, enough to know that we are serving thee. And God's people said, Amen.